This is Marcus Slayton and Christina Leffering with your local news coming to you live from the WRT studios on Bedford Street in beautiful downtown Madison. And here are tonight's headlines. A nationwide poll by the Marquette University Law School gives Donald Trump a slight edge over President Joe Biden in the 2024 presidential race. The advantage was well within the poll's margin of error. Trump led Biden 51% to 49% among registered voters, according to the poll released today. The survey, conducted from February 5th to the 15th, interviewed 882 registered voters and had a margin of error of 4.5 percentage points. Trump held a slightly larger lead when potential third-party candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was factored in, Channel 3000 reports. In that scenario, 42% chose Trump, 39% preferred Biden, and 15% opted for Kennedy. Issues in reaching 911 are entirely the fault of outages at numerous phone carriers, and not of local dispatchers, says Dane County Public Safety Communications. That's as AT&T said this afternoon that most of its network had been restored after a widespread network outage affected customers across the country today. The outage has prompted investigation from the FBI and the Federal Department of Homeland Security. At the peak of the outage, the online tracking website Down Detector reported 70,000 AT&T outages nationwide, including some in the Milwaukee area, the, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports. Cricket Mobile, Verizon, and T-Mobile were also affected. Dane County Public Safety Communications tells Channel 3000 that they faced an influx of abandoned calls this morning, likely from people testing their cell phones during the outage. But please don't test your 911 connection. If you're able to place any outgoing call, they say you'll be able to reach 911 if you need to. The legislature's increase in Medicaid reimbursements to Wisconsin's tribes is the greatest boon since the advent of tribal gaming, the Forest County Potawatomi chairman declared today in the annual State of the Tribes Address. James Crawford also praised lawmakers for advancing efforts to improve access to affordable housing in rural areas. Attorney General Josh Call was noted for launching a task force on missing and murdered Native American women. Crawford, speaking in the Chamber of the State Assembly, urged state leaders to seek common ground to improve conditions across the state. Days after signing into law new legislative voting maps that are expected to weaken Republican representation in the state legislature, Governor Tony Evers is turning his attention to another set of boundaries, congressional maps. Yesterday, Evers indicated his direction in a tweet which read, quote, Monday, I signed fair maps for Wisconsin's legislature. Up next, fair maps for our congressional districts, unquote. The governor is asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to reconsider Wisconsin's current congressional maps. A high-profile Democratic law firm filed a motion last month asking the court to do so, reports the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The liberal majority court would have just weeks to act for the lines to be in place by the fall election. The Wisconsin Elections Commission says the maps would need to be in place by March 15th. 
The state assembly had another full calendar today, which is likely to be their last regular floor sessions, day of regular floor sessions. More than seven dozen bills were on their busy agenda. One bill the assembly approved would unlock $125 million that's already been allocated in the budget to help municipalities and property owners clean up contamination from PFAS or forever chemicals. The legislation was approved by Republicans last fall and heads to the governor's desk, though he's not expected to sign it due to limitations imposed on the state's DNR. Another bill passed by the Assembly today would overhaul how Wisconsin private school voucher programs are funded, and another education bill approved today would hold back students who miss more than 30 days of school a year, reports with politics. Notably, Republicans rejected an amendment that would have provided funding for free school meals. A defunct contractor that installed solar energy systems is under FBI investigation for possible fraud, according to Wisconsin Public Radio. Dozens of Sun Badger Solar customers are out thousands of dollars after paying for projects that were never completed before the company went out of business in March 2023. The total loss is about $1.3 million, a report from the State Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection says. The company also owes former employees more than $400,000 in unpaid wages, according to state records. Federal investigators have obtained phone records from Sun Badger Solar as part of their probe, a document filed last month shows. Chronic absenteeism in Dane County's largest school districts has dropped significantly since the disruptions of the COVID-19 pandemic, records from the State Department of Public Instruction show. But all, not all news was good in comparing 2021-22 attendance figures with those of prior years. In Sun Prairie, chronic absenteeism among economically disadvantaged students rose slightly to 44.4%. Students in Madison, Sun Prairie, and Middleton Cross Plains districts returned to the classrooms in the fall of 2021 after the COVID-induced hiatus. The DPI will release its review of attendance in the 2022-23 school year this spring, the Wisconsin State Journal reports. A Madison West High School student's essay on one of Wisconsin's most controversial politicians has earned high honors in a statewide contest, the Capital Times reports. Sandy Flores Ruiz critiqued the, cur the career of Senator Joe McCarthy and his role in the 1950s Red Scare in her submission to the Wisconsin Newspaper Asso Association's Civics Games Contest. Flores Ruiz described how McCarthy's intimidation tactics damaged reputations and infringed on constitutional rights. The period bears lessons that people should take to heart today, she wrote. The senior and student editor at the Simpson Street Free Press will receive $500 from the Newspaper Association. Those were the headlines, and now on to the rest of today's top stories. The issue of abortion access in the state of Wisconsin is likely headed to the state Supreme Court. That's because both Joel Ormansky, the Sheboygan County District Attorney, and Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin filed petitions to bypass an appeals court this week. WRT reporter Sarah Gabler has more. 
On Tuesday, Sheboygan District Attorney Joel Ermanski filed a petition asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to decide the legality of a ruling last year that reinstated abortion care in the state. According to Dane County Circuit Judge Diane Schlipper, Wisconsin's 19th century statute does not apply to consensual abortion care. It only applies to feticide. Judge Schlipper's ruling was in response to a lawsuit brought by state attorney Josh Call following the overturning of Roe v. Wade in 2022. D.A. Ermanski has already appealed Judge Schlipper's ruling, but the petition filed this week asks to bypass the appeals court process and take it straight to the state's highest court. Representatives of Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin agree with D.A. Ermanski. They also say that this issue is important enough to the people of Wisconsin to head straight to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin filed a legal petition today asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to protect the right to abortion in the state of Wisconsin. We are asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to answer this question. Does the Wisconsin Constitution protect the right to access abortion care and a provider's right to provide abortion care? We think it does. That was Tanya Atkinson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin. Atkinson was speaking at a press conference this morning announcing their own petition. In a press release, Michelle Velasquez, the chief strategy officer of the state's Planned Parenthood, agrees that the case should bypass the appeals court. But the group, quote, vehemently opposes, unquote, D.A. Ermanski's interpretation that the statute criminalizes abortion providers. For both Ermanski and Planned Parenthood, sending the case first to the appeals court would delay a resolution and unnecessarily use up state resources. Yet if the case goes to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, it will be decided by a liberal majority. For WORT News, I'm Sarah Gabler. Last November, the USDA updated its map of plant hardiness zones for the first time in more than a decade. The new map is based on 30-year averages of the lowest annual winter temperatures, and those averages have caused some places, including Madison, to shift into a warmer zone. Climate Connection's Dr. Anthony Lazowitz has what you need to know before you buy garden perennials this spring. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. As spring approaches, many gardeners are looking for new perennials to add to their collections. As the climate warms, some may want to try growing plants that historically only survived farther south. The USDA recently updated its plant hardiness zone map for the first time in over a decade. The map assigns every location in the U.S. to one of 13 zones, each with an A and B half zone. Knowing the zone they're in helps gardeners determine which plants will survive winter in their region. So you can think of the plant hardiness zone map as a plant selection guide. It's focused on just one measure, which is the extreme lowest minimum temperature of the year, and that's averaged over 30 years. Chris Daly of Oregon State University leads the PRISM Climate Group, which helps create the map. He says in the updated version, about half the country shifted a half zone warmer. The biggest changes occurred in states such as Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Daly cautions that the changes are subtle and extreme cold snaps remain possible. I think what I would start doing is look around your garden and look at the microclimates that occur within your garden. You may be able to grow some new plants in some of these warmer microclimates. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. 
To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. Earlier this week, the Early Literacy Curriculum Council and the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction released a list of 11 approved early literacy curriculums aimed at addressing the low literacy rates of Wisconsin kids. The new curriculums are important because of a law passed last summer that requires school districts to adopt science-backed early literacy instruction. This afternoon, WRT reporter Sarah Gabler spoke with journalist Danielle Duclos about the upcoming changes to the literacy curriculums in Wisconsin. All right, Danielle, thanks for joining me this afternoon. We're talking about an article that you wrote for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on literacy curriculums in Wisconsin and some of the updates to literacy curriculums that have been put in place and announced this week. So I'm curious if you could just set the stage for us. What what were the changes in state law that prompted the Early Literacy Curriculum Council and the Department of Public Instruction to release a new set of literacy curriculums this week? Yeah, so this all stems from Wisconsin's new literacy law that is overhauling reading instruction throughout the state. So the law is known as Act 20. It was signed by Governor Evers last summer, and it has a lot of different requirements and some pretty swift deadlines. So as required by Act 20, this nine-member Early Literacy Curriculum Council was created to review and recommend reading curriculums for kindergartners through third graders that are science-backed and include instruction on things like fluency, phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, writing, comprehension, a bunch of these foundational reading skills. So on Tuesday, the council recommended four curriculums, and the Department of Public Instruction, which is our state's education agency, also did its own review of curriculums, and so they collectively released this 11 um, curriculum list. And these curriculums are really significant because Act 20 requires school districts to adopt some science-backed early literacy instruction that includes the foundational skills that I just went over. And so these recommendations, um, if approved by the Joint Finance Committee, so that's like the next step that's coming. Um, If the Joint Finance Committee approves this list of curriculums and a district adopts one of them, they're eligible for reimbursement. And curriculum implementation can be very expensive. And if you're a large district, it can be millions of dollars. So this is a really big incentive for districts to adopt one of these curriculums on this list. So this is also really important for the state because a lot of school districts are using reading curriculums that don't meet academic standards recommended by the Department of Public Instruction. So in 2021, the department surveyed about 80% of school districts in the state, and of those 80% that participated, at least 79% said they use a curriculum that isn't meeting those recommended standards. So now that districts are going to be required to use the science-backed reading curriculums, they don't have to choose one from the list that has been proposed, but if they want reimbursement, they do. So it's set up some guardrails for guiding districts into the future of reading instruction. Can you tell me about what some of those academic standards are? What counts as the science of reading? Yeah, so the science of reading is is a big buzzword right now in education, and it's kind of hard to pin down the science of reading. There isn't really a universally accepted definition. It, in general, refers to a decades-old body of research that explains how the brain learns to read. 
Specifically within Act 20, though, it is laid out what science-backed reading instruction looks like. So the instruction needs to be explicit and systematic, and it needs to include, I think it might be nine um, key foundational areas, such as fluency, phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, phonics, oral language development, vocabulary, writing, comprehension, and building background knowledge. So throughout the review process, um, the Early Literacy Curriculum Council was reviewing curriculums to meet those standards and other quality um, assurances, and then DPI also did their own review of curriculums um, to make sure that they're in compliance with the, the instructional requirements of Act 20. How were previous curriculums not in compliance with this? What were they teaching that, that needs to be updated? So honestly, I would not know. I don't know the answer mm-hmm. to that because Wisconsin is a local control state, meaning that every school district gets to decide what curriculums they get to use. So um, they have like academic standards that need to be met. Uh, but the Department of Public Instruction recommends that uh, school districts use curriculums that are evaluated and approved by an organization called Ed Reports that reviews literacy curriculums and gives them a rating of good quality or bad quality. And um, because it's a local control state, each school district gets to choose uh, their own curriculums and it doesn't have to be one of the Ed Reports rated ones. But now under Act 10, those school districts would have to at least comply with this set of recommended curriculums and therefore raise the standard. Can you talk a little bit about why having these new curriculums is important for Wisconsin kids? Reading instruction is the foundation of your education, right? I think everyone can agree that you use reading every single day, whether you're going to vote, whether you're signing a lease for an apartment. Um, if you're reading a recipe, right, to cook dinner for you and your family, reading is so integral to our lives. And there's this saying in education that from kindergarten to third grade, you are learning how to read. You're getting those foundational reading skills. And then from then onward, you're reading to learn. So you're reading about history and science, and you're reading to learn other things in other subject matter areas. And so if you don't have a really strong foundation in your early literacy um, skills, it's going to be harder to progress throughout your educational experience and career. And so this is a really big deal for Wisconsin um, and a really great step in the right direction. Um, Overall, the majority of Wisconsin students are not proficient in reading um, on the state standardized tests, which are called the forward exams. So in the 2022-23 school year, which was last school year, 58% of students were not proficient in reading. And so um, it's important to note standardized tests are a moment in time and it's a snapshot of a student. So it's in no means a full picture of a child, but it is the best metric that we have for cross district and grade level comparisons across the state. So for example, a third grader in Green Bay, a third grader in Appleton, a third grader in Madison, you can look at their scores on the state forward exams because it's the same test and make cross comparisons. So low proficiency rates, some of that is due to the pandemic that had a very significant impact on student learning. But it's important to note that even before the pandemic, student proficiency on the reading portion of the state forward exams was low. So in the 2018-2019 school year, which was not impacted by COVID-19, 58% of students weren't testing proficient in the reading portion of the state forward exam, which 
is the same percentage as they tested last year. So this is more than just a pandemic um, situation. I think a lot of people um, are worried about the pandemic learning loss, and that is a piece for sure, and we need to catch kids up. Um, But it's important that kids get higher proficiency levels. Yeah, and that seems like a, a Wisconsin kids would benefit from that, and the, it's a national issue as well. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of some mm-hmm. of the reporting that you've done um, for the series by the book. If there's a brief snapshot of that you could give. Yeah, so um, my news organization, the USA Today Network Wisconsin, has been looking at reading in Wisconsin for about a year. We uh, started to see nationally there's a lot going on with reading and a lot of states are passing laws that are similar to Act 20. And we saw that heading towards Wisconsin last spring and started to look into reading in Wisconsin and covering uh, the development of Act 20. And um, I'm looking to continue that coverage as Act 20 is being implemented and it's rolled out and to really look at the question of um, why are we here? How did we get here and where can we go and how are we gonna improve reading in the state? There will be a lot of adjustments and new um, screening tools that are gonna be implemented and if students are not testing well on those screening tools, reading plans will be implemented for them to get them caught up. And so there's a lot of measures of accountability built into Act 20 to get kids who are maybe not on track with grade level expectations, um, a plan in place so that they can catch up. So a lot of moving parts and a lot of work ahead of the state and education. All right. Well, thank you, Danielle, for your time. Thank you for having me. It takes little to be big as the current campaign by Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Dane County to connect kids with mentors. Dee Starr talks with Tracy Anderson and Merv Seymour about the impact you can have as a big brother or big sister. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Dee Starr, here with Tracy Anderson and Merv Seymour. How you guys doing this morning? We're good. Sorry. I'm good. I'll take good. Yeah. Afternoon. Good, good enough. What What is your message for the city for It Takes Little to Be Big kickoff? We are running a six-week campaign because we want to put a dent into our wait list. We want to cut it in half. So we want 100 new volunteers with diverse backgrounds, definitely. And yeah, just please help us put a dent in our wait list because you know what would be great is if we have mentors that are actually waiting to be matched instead of what we have now. Yeah. So I'd like to leave you with that. And I just want to challenge anyone that's out there listening, uh, that's even thinking or not thinking, uh, to think and get involved and and stop being selfish and stop. You know, the time that you spend sitting on your couch doing absolutely nothing is time that you could spend, you know, serving and helping and being an impact to somebody else. You know, I, I know some folks out here in this community and they all have something to offer. You know, and obviously, you know, we want African-Americans to get involved and because that's that's where this greatest need is. And, and I know there's enough of us in this town to be involved and to impact and to make a difference. So I challenge every, anyone out there to just just get involved, make the call, you know, go to the website, give Tracy a call. Let me give you her number real quick. <laughs> and, uh, Please. <laughs> and honestly, I just want to stress two hours of your time, two hours You know, like I said, the best time that I've had so far with my little is sitting down and having lunch for two hours. And you could just tell all she wanted was that one on one time. And we both left leaving so happy. So it's just a couple hours. You can make it happen. 
Yeah, yeah, just just yeah, yeah, and and when you step up, just get one other person to step up yes. and, and let the chain begin, yes. let the chain evolve. Yeah, and we can we can put a dent in this thing. Absolutely, you know, I do a podcasting and production class at the juvenile shelter and uh, at the juvenile detention center, and um, where I come and teach a, a two day class to uh, kids that's um, in a rough spot. You know, and I teach them podcasting and production. So it's two day class. So first, the first day I come in, I teach them the basics of audio and then how to conduct an interview. And then the second day I bring in a special guest. Just those um, and and the classes are an hour and a half uh, a piece. So I understand like just that little bit of time makes so much of a difference in the kid's life, you know, and that's me and. A few kids. I can just imagine if it was just one-on-one. And you feel good. Yeah, that's like, what I was about to you say. You feel good. Like, sometimes it is overwhelming how I feel when I walk away from, you know, just having um, two hours with her or the happiness that I feel. And then you feel accomplished, like you actually yeah. did something with your week or your day. Yeah, like, or wow. sometimes I'm emotional. I mean, there's times I'll just cry because... <laughs> you know, crying right now. Know, Listen was, to you, man. I was like worried with this job. I'm like, why am I crying? So <laughs> I cry a lot, but it just, you know, like just to see people step up and take that time, and you know, you'll see that my little emotional. my little yeah. took a bite of pizza and she loves it. <laughs> and just, macaroni and cheese. She had the so. macaroni and cheese pizza. It's so good. That's right. <laughs> Make me cry. It's so good. The pizza is so good. Cry. It was so good. So good. <laughs> But I feel you, Tracy, because I care to the point, too, that it makes me emotional and I'm I'm dead serious. Because I think back to like, I remember going to a a bank once and there was this young man, a father with his two kids. And he was um, clearly teaching them how to money in a bank account and showing them what money is. And I remember him saying, well, it sounded like he was giving them like a hundred bucks, which I wish he gave me a hundred bucks. But uh, he says uh, to the teller, would you mind just giving it to them so they can see what it feels like? You know, and, and I didn't grow up with a father. And so I just thought, wow, how cool is that? You know, to have someone in your life that's going to show you how to value money and how to start, you know, really, really early. So, you know, by the time you do become a teenager or you get to college and you get your first job, you know, you totally understand how to manage it without uh, feeling like you have to, you know, go into debt to do those sorts of things. You know, so it's it, it is an emotional thing, you know, and when you care and uh, especially about our community, you just you can't help but be emotional. So I, I totally feel you on that. And I'm being dead serious about that. And you'd be a, you'd be surprised what you miss coming up without a father or without a mother. You know, you'd be surprised like the little things that you even see, like on bring your bring your kid to work day or, you know, certain interactions that you see between father and son when they come and pick them up from school or they, you know, they come to a basketball game. You're like, wow, that's how, that's how a dad's supposed to act. That's how they supposed to feel. That's, that's, and then you yeah. start living vicariously through that kids. Like, man, I would feel like that. Or I would, you know what I mean? I tell people all the time. It's like, you, you know, um, look at your life and um, take your father and all the things that he means to you and what he's done for you and taught you taught you, impacts you, and just all those sorts of things. Now, take them out of your life. Like, take take away all the things that they did for you, and, and what does that feel like? What does that look like? You know, and it's it hurts. A lot of times the people can't even imagine it. Yeah, you can't imagine it. Because you don't like, know uh, what you don't know. 
Don't know. And I tell you, when I, when I, you know, I started seeing family when I was in college, really. And I started spending my holidays at other people's families. And, and I learned, you know, cause you know, when you have a single mom, you know, and, and they're doing everything, there's only so much they can do. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys. I had a great time. Thank you. Hey man, I appreciate the, the opportunity. Absolutely. I'm D star until next time guys. That was D-Star sitting down with Tracy Anderson and Merv Seymour of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Dane County. This week on The House Always Wins, construction teachers and long hot shower enthusiasts who feel a little guilty about that, but not guilty enough not to do it, John and Allie discuss hot water choices. I call it housework. Cause it's light work. What you, what you done I'm gonna throw shapes, filling the base to my feet hurt. Hello, everybody. I'm John. And I'm Allie. And welcome to The House Always Wins, where you can learn cool stuff about your house. We all love cool stuff. So, John, you've been talking pretty big lately about installing a new, sexy, super efficient water heater. So how's that been going for you? Well, um, it's going in a super slow-mo, slow-walking sort of way. Uh, Yeah, what's the holdup? Well, I'm still waiting for the almost perfect water heater to appear. And it's almost there. And, you know, I'm kind of watching. It's almost there. I can see it in the mist, like the Isle of Avalon and the Holy Grail legend. I barely understood any of those words. Um, (laughs) It does beg the question, what is going on in the world of hot water heaters these days? And frankly, how do these things even work? What's the difference between them? And what should a homeowner know about their hot water heater? Basically, what we do here in North America is we store our hot water heater. And everybody has one of these in their basement. It's probably 40-gallon. 50-gallon. 50-gallon tops. 70-gallon. They're out there, but the vast majority of homes, it's like a 40 to 50-gallon large tank. It's basically got a giant burner at the bottom. Most of them are gas-fired. Some are electric. But the gas-fired one, is just it's an enormous giant burner at the bottom of this big old pot of water, and it heats it up to about 120 degrees and just kind of holds onto it. And then as you turn the tap, the cold water comes in, the hot water goes out, and it goes to your faucet. And uh, unfortunately... They're still being made pretty much following the same tech and same efficiencies as 30, maybe even 40 years ago. So they're really just, they're not great, quite frankly. We could do a lot better. Um, So basically, these old style water heaters that most people have in their house, they're kind of like the Yugoslavian made Yugo cars. They work, sure, but they don't last and are really the worst option as far as the cars can go. There are other options. Um, and Allie, didn't you install a tankless hot water heater in your house? What is that and how does it work? I did. I I, get, I found one that was brand new at the Habitat Restore. It was a real bargain at $500. Nice. You can typically expect to spend closer to $1,500 to $3,500 for a tankless water heater. Right. And what it is, is instead of heating up a pot of water like you just described, the water is heated up as it goes sort of past this big burner as you're using it. So mine operates on gas. So it's a gas burner. So again, we're back to using gas here to heat up the water, but it's only heating up the water as I open the faucet and need hot water. So the good side of that is that I'm not holding on to 40 gallons of hot water throughout the day for the occasional shower that demands that hot water. It also means that if I take a 10-minute shower, I have hot water the whole time. 
if for some reason I decide to take a one hour shower, um, that's really more of a, like a throwback to when my teenager lived with us. <laughs> right. Um, what are you doing in there? <laughs> there's hot water the entire time, regardless. Uh, so that's kind of nice. And there's no there's no no issue with, oh, I'm going to run a load of wash, better not take a shower or any any of those conflicts. It, mm-hmm. it supplies plenty of hot water for everybody who needs it at, yeah. at that time. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. The downside is, there's a couple of downsides that I've experienced. One is that, well, for one thing, and, and I don't think this is unique to, to uh, a tankless hot water heater, but our, our shower is upstairs. So there's a lot of plumbing that goes between the hot mm, water right. heater and the shower, which means that all of that cold water that's been sitting there all day has to work its way out before you get to the good stuff. Right. Um, the other thing is that, and I think they call this like the cold water slug. Right. And there's this issue, and and I only really experience this when I'm washing dishes. If you do a thing where you kind of turn on the hot water, then turn it off, maybe soap some things up, turn it on and, and turn it off, it, it just does not like respond quickly enough. Right. And so it really isn't hot water at that point to rinse the dishes or whatever it is that, that you're doing. It's that sort of on off. It doesn't respond super well to. But now you're not going to do a tankless hot water heater. You're going for something different. What is that? I am. I, I was all on board the tankless hot water train for quite a while, but there's a new water heater muse that has captured my attention. Uh, I've been looking pretty closely at these new super high efficient hybrid slash heat pump water heaters. What is that? They basically run off a heat pump inside your house. And what that is, essentially, it's kind of like a reverse operating air conditioner sitting on the top of your hot water heater. So what it does is it draws the heat out of the ambient air and works the same way that an air conditioner does, but it works in reverse, Mm -hmm. you know, so instead of cooling the air like an AC does to your house, it actually heats the water in your hot water heater. And they're definitely more complicated than that. The totality of it is they're super efficient. They produce a gallon of hot water using less BTUs, British Thermians, than any other system, hands down. So basically, they are the best way to do it. The problem or the issue is um, they run on electricity. So that's the only way they work. So there's no gas-fired action going on there. It needs electricity. And beforehand... Uh, they've been out for a while, but you needed to run a 220-volt electricity line to them, which I don't currently have. My current hot water heater is gas-fired. So I kind of hesitated because I'm going to pay more for this unit. I'm going to pay probably $1,200, $1,400 for the unit, which is more than the typical off-the-shelf. But I'm willing to do that because I'll save that money and time. But then I was also looking at having to add this electrical circuit and that additional cost. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was reading that they're coming out now with 120 volt versions. Oh, nice. Yeah. They run on 120 volt. In fact, the newest ones, basically you plug them in the wall. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you're going to, that'll be another appliance. You sort of take off the gas. Yep. We've talked a fair bit about trying to break free of the natural gas. Yeah. Downsides to, so the unit is incredibly efficient. It'll save me a ton of money. Plus I have a solar array on my house. In times, basically it'll be heating my water with sunshine essentially, which that's kind of cool. The downside to these units though, is you have to oversize them. So I'm probably gonna be looking at a 65 gallon unit. 
for the simple reason that it's pretty slow to heat the water. It mm -hmm. takes time. It takes hours. Like the standard hot water heater, it's incredibly inefficient. But the one thing it does, it heats up water pretty quickly. With this, it's more like three, four, five hours. Oh, so if you had to do a couple showers in a row, mm -hmm. that could turn into a real disappointment. Yep, Unless it could. you had a really big tank. Yeah. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there are a lot of choices for water heaters are way more than there used to be, I guess. Right. And it is something that you want to consider what your next water heater is going to be before your <laughs> water heater fails. Right. And your typical tank water heater generally has a lifespan of about 10 to 15 years. Yeah, tops. Um, and when its lifespan is over, sometimes it's a little dramatic. Uh, when they start, you know, some water is spraying this way and that way out of <laughs> yes. there. You know, you're going to be interested in whatever water heater the plumber has in their truck. At that moment. That's the one you're going to buy. Oh, yeah. And regardless of, of whatever you, you think you might want to switch to later. So if you're looking at a water heater that's 10 years old, what's your plan for your next water heater? And start thinking about changing that out yeah. before then. One thing, if, if you're not sure how old your water heater is, there's usually a sticker or nameplate on there that actually has the date it was manufactured right. on there. So you can get a lead on, on how old your water heater is. Right. And uh, think about getting that thing replaced. Absolutely. On that note, that's all we have for you today on The House Always Wins. If you have any questions or comments about home improvement, carpentry, give us a send us an email at thehousealwayswins at wortfm.org. Sometimes the hardest part about starting a new project isn't how to start, it's if you should start. If you ask Rhonda Riccardi, her title, she will say retired. Free from work-related work responsibilities, Riccardi is looking to the past for future projects. Maybe. In this archival episode of Radio Chipstone, contributor Jennifer Fields learns the troubled history of a family quilt and the dilemma of finishing something that someone else started. What you're looking at is the top of a quilt that my grandmother, who I'm named after, was working on in the early 1930s at the time of her death. And she died because she had three young daughters. The youngest uh, was my mother, who was seven at the time, and she found herself to be pregnant again. <sighs> and she could not feed the three daughters she had and she attempted to terminate the pregnancy and it cost her her life and orphaned my mother and her two sisters. This is the quilt my grandmother was working on at the time of her death. Now my mom had given me this beautiful bright yellow material, just yards and yards of it at the time that she moved out of her house. And she said, your grandmother was working on a quilt at the time of her death. This was supposed to be the bottom of it, but if you want this material, it's yours. So I took it, I made this skirt, I made everybody in the family masks because I got it during the pandemic. So I backed it with this so everybody would have part of grandma. <laughs> um, um, and then when she and my dad were moving out of their condo into their uh, assisted living, my mom had given me another box of stuff saying, here's, you know, stuff for each of you. She has seven kids, I'm number six. And brought my box home, put it in the basement, was cleaning out the basement a few months later, opened up my box that she'd given me, and this was in it. And this is the top.
top, this is the actual quilt top that my grandmother was making. And as you can see, these stitches are done by machine, but they were by a, a pedal machine, which I, I have not the machine, but one like it upstairs. And you see how perfect those are. First of all, all yes. of it's immaculate. I'm not a fan of math. So the amount of math and calculating she had to do to make this pattern, and then those stitches are perfect. What yeah. is this pattern called? Do you know? I don't know the, the name of this pattern at all, but all these medallions you see, these are all by hand, Jennifer. She's, that's a straight up flex. By hand. That's a straight flex. Um, Can you, um, you have daughters? Yes. You gotta be working. You gotta be under incredible stress. Yes. And you're doing this by hand. Yes, and she's living on a farm just this south of the UP in Wisconsin. And she has to break the ice in the creek in the back so the cows can drink because my grandfather's off being a lumberjack and she's got her three kids and she's made this beautiful quilt and and keeping the farm and trying to keep life going for everybody and I just I saw when I took this out of the box I started crying instantly because I knew what it was and I never knew that she actually had made the top of the quilts, because my mom never, my mom didn't talk about her mom a lot. She, you know, it's she was very young. Could, she yeah, died. like how, yeah. how could you? Because what you know is tragedy and painful. Yes, yeah. And that's in, just as much as that is in your DNA, I believe there's DNA in this quilt. Yes. And I want to, I talked to my mom about using the quilt as a symbol for the importance of women keeping the right to be able to choose whether they have children or not and give birth or not. And she gave me the green light. So the next question I have for myself, because the, the decision is mine, is whether the symbol's going to be more powerful unfinished, since Rhoda, the Rhoda that made this quilt, um, will never be able to finish it. Or if I should finish it, since I am her namesake. And my mom said, Ooh, that one's up to you. So. I wasn't expecting this. Like I'm, yeah. like, like, I'm trying not to cry, and I have chills. Yeah. That's a... See... Oh, yeah. so I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. Because part of me, I'm nervous about finishing it. I will tell you that I'm nervous talking about starting a project. My first step has to be whether I'm going to finish it or not, obviously. But I already used all the material that was the backing for the quilt. This, because I, I got the bottom of the quilt without knowing it. I just had this yards of this yellow fabric. It's all used up. So if I finish it, I have to find a new back. My mom would tell you, she told me, that this has to be the cheapest cotton on earth because they were in, in abject poverty is what they were living in. Um, and these some of these patterns um, might have been the, remember when they, well, we wouldn't remember it, we weren't alive then, but when the flower company started making the flower sacks yes. out of printed materials. So some of these might have been from them. I brought the quilt to my mom after I found it, and she doesn't, unfortunately, she doesn't remember any of the fabrics that are in here or anything. Are any of her sisters still with us? Would they remember? No, her sisters were older than she was, and they are both gone. Um, and I think I'm going to talk to my oldest cousin and see if she has any memories of if, if her mom shared anything about this quilt, because uh, she's her mom would have been my mom's oldest sister, who's also my godmother. 
Um, but you know, it, but I hope she thought it was important enough. You know, because yeah. sometimes, like this, it may have been a project that was a necessity, and maybe it was something she kind of did, and maybe she would have thought it wasn't a big deal to talk about. Yeah, I'm making a quilt. Yeah, I'm making. Yep. Yep. Well, and and my mom at the age of seven wouldn't have necessarily been in tune with. She yeah, what she else, wouldn't you have know, known. You know, but maybe my oldest cousin has some information about any of these fabrics, or if um, since she's the oldest cousin, maybe if there were hand me downs that you know what I mean, because uh, I don't recognize any of these fabrics no. whatsoever at all at all. Um, but my this mom. This one's so cool. This like this, this red. Red. Yep. Well, and my mom, because my mom's a sewer. And of her five daughters, I'm the only sewer out of out of them. So my grandma was a sewer, my mom's a sewer, I'm a sewer. Um, I'm not as talented as they are by any stretch. I have, I can do straight lines. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it's been so long since I've sewn because I learned from my mother. But then, yeah. you know, you go to college and you get cool and you're not going to be sitting around sewing. Sewing, yeah. So... I'm relearning, and I found these sheets, I should bring them to you, that are just the lines you have to follow to get your stitches, stitches back in order and figure out how to make a star and how to, I'll share some with you because yeah. it's hilarious. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because how fast can I go? Not that fast. <laughs> yeah. So will you make, if you decide, no matter what you decide before I forget, yeah. will you use the old pedal sewing machine or will you use a new I'm sewing machine? I'm going to try it because I know it works. I mean, I have never made anything on it, but I, I got it up out of its case because it's, it's still in its old wooden case. Um, and I got that the, it, the machine works. So if it works, I will do that because that will be exactly what she used to sew these panels, you know, these squares together. Not the same machine, of course, but one like it. But then, if, like... I have so many questions, and I don't even know where to start with the questions. So if you decide to finish it, yeah. would it be would it be to signify the time passage of when she did this to now? You know what I mean? Would yeah. you somehow bridge that? Yeah. I, I think if I were to finish it, it would be selfish on my part because it, it would be my hand combining with my grandmother's, you know. Um, and I think it's a stronger symbol if I do decide to go, you know, to, to um, become a little more ad, uh, active. I think it's probably going to be more powerful unfinished. That was Radio Chipstone feature contributor Jonifer Fields in conversation with Rhonda Riccardi. Jonifer says Riccardi is retired, full stop. And that's a wrap for WORT's Live Local News at 6. Russ Mackey was your headline writer. Special thanks to feature contributors D. Starr, John Stephanie and Ali Barini, and Jonifer Fields. Nicole Alley engineered the show. Sarah Gabler produced this newscast. And Ms. Shali Pippen is the news director here at WORT. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Marcus Slayton. And I'm your host, Christina Leffring. Stay up to date with the WORT Local News Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you else wherever else you get your podcasts. Up next is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Good night. Good night.